Attention, Kingdom Hospital medical staff. Attention. Water has been miraculously turning into wine today. It's important to check on all your patients to ensure their IVs have not been compromised. After all, the average human is already 60% water, which could easily change. <laughs> I haven't been 60% wine since college. This concludes your announcements. Stay tuned for spontaneous hymnals and your personal cheese pairing. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And normally we'd say, and Benjamin Graham. Is Ben at the casino? Uh, no, uh, actually, it's Ben's week off, so maybe oh. he is at the casino. Okay. But we'll see. We'll see if he comes back with any winnings. So instead, we have a special guest joining us, a very special guest for me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dairy Public Radio, my mom, Lisa Kahn. Yay! <laughs> welcome, constant readers. And today we are covering episode 10 of Kingdom Hospital on the third day. Or if you watch the Blu-ray version, it's called The Passion of Reverend Jimmy. And we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. Before we get into it, our usual disclaimer, we're recording remotely during COVID, so our audio quality is different for these episodes. And Mrs. Khan, or should I call you Lisa, or should I call you Mrs. Khan? You can call me whatever you want to. (laughs) You're part of the family now, so... (laughs) Before we dive into this episode, I want to ask you a couple questions. What was your first Stephen King experience? I remember my best friend in grade school and and junior high was named Gaylene. And she took me to see Salem's Lot. And I can't remember if that one or Carrie was first, but those were the first two movies that I saw that were were Stephen King. I never really read any of his books until you guys started the podcast. Wow. What about your favorite Stephen King moment? Do you have one of those? I'm not sure. There was there's there's several that I really I really like, but I think it was when I went to see the movie, when I went to see uh, Pet Cemetery with you guys. <laughs> I actually in the middle of Pet Cemetery during a very dramatic part, I I can't even say I laughed. I guffawed, <laughs> <laughs> and and all of a sudden from behind me I hear that's my mom. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that was the moment when Zelda fell down the, uh, the dummy waiter. I believe so. Yes. Cause that was hilarious. You guys. (laughs) (laughs) One final question. I think that if dairy public radio had a mom, it would be you, Lisa. (laughs) You are so supportive of this podcast and you have done so much for us and also for a lot of our fans. And you did something really amazing and cool recently. And I just would like you to share that with our fans, if you wouldn't mind. I've been sending care packages overseas to to troops because I myself was in the Marine Corps. And one of the things that one group requested was some books because they like to read. So I thought, what better than to download all of the podcasts that you guys had done up till then and buy each one of the books that you'd reviewed, and I put them in a box, and I sent them over to Kuwait. So Dairy Public Radio went to Kuwait. That's so awesome. Well, I am incredibly excited to talk to you specifically about this episode. <laughs> yeah, bring in the Catholic mom for the, the Jesus episode. That's- Total coincidence, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> How appropriate. All right, before we get into this, a quick recap of where we're at so far. Last episode was about baseball. That is all I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's fair. This episode opens with Abel and Krista and Stegman's car, and they encounter a very drunk hooligan, and he does the most magical and beautiful thing to Steg's car. (laughs) I laughed so hard. Barfs on the window because he is beyond hammered. I really, I thought for a second, because when it pans over, you see the sign in Stegman's car that says, deface my car and die. Stegman, chief of neurosciences. (laughs) So I love that he took the time to fully (laughs) sign it. Uh, But I was really hoping that Firecracker Man puked inside his car, but he didn't. He just puked on the window. Yeah, I was hoping he puked inside too, because that would have been even even funnier. And Abel and Krista are... I don't want to say concerned because they don't seem overly concerned, but they recognize, I guess, that this guy, unless he's too drunk to remember seeing them, is probably going to rat them out to Stegman. I was actually wondering if they somehow caused him to puke in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Because then they're like, are we in trouble? (laughs) I would buy that. Abel and Krista are two of my favorite characters. (laughs) I love them. I, they have have displayed some unique abilities, so I say yes, they caused him to do that. <laughs> so he stumbles away, and something catches his eye down the alley. It was something that I didn't expect in this show, and I would not have guessed that I would see. Yes, uh, Reverend Jimmy, who we've seen a few times throughout the series, most notably doing a book club, which was great. They find him stripped down to his underwear and he is chained to a chain link fence with barbed wire in a crucifixion pose. I thought this was a very emotional scene between Firecracker Man and the Reverend. You can tell that he really loves him. And I feel bad (laughs) being a little bit amused by this, but uh, Firecracker Man is trying to give him CPR on the fence, which I don't think works that way. I don't think it works. No, I'm pretty sure... Uh, especially giving somebody the uh, the compressions against <laughs> a fence that has give really makes it hard to give compressions. But he does give mouth to mouth, and that does something. Well, you know, uh, the two things that he did say before he died were that they didn't know what they were doing, and it is done, which are two of the things that Jesus said on the cross. Oh, I did not know that. Yes, the last thing he said was, it is done. Hot damn. That's why you brought me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So after he gives him CPR, Firecracker pulls back and he's healed. There had been a sore on his face that is now gone. And even more interestingly, he is completely sober all of a sudden. And so he, he does something that I also didn't expect. He puts... Reverend Jesus's glasses back on him and the cracks that were in them disappear. And so this is the point where if I were firecracker man, I would lovingly take him down and I would start rubbing his body all over just like everything. Like don't feel good. Have a rub tire went flat on you. Have a rub on your tire. We're killing the ocean and the coral reefs. Rub Jesus on it. I would rub Jesus all over the whole world. (laughs) Just rub a little Jesus on it. (laughs) I just have this image of you weekend at Bernie's style carrying uh, Reverend Jimmy around, throw him into a burning building and it stops. That is my dream, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know it, but you just expressed my dream. So we need to get uh, Andrew McCarthy to reprise his role in weekend at Bernie's to co-star with you. 
This fits and, so perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you did you did notice uh, his initials, right? His name is Jimmy Chris. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Chris. So his initials are JC. <laughs> really like had to just beat it over the head one more time in case we right. had all gotten it. It's right? no Johnny B. Good. That's true. In a yes. show where we have Johnny B. Good and Jesse James, I guess <laughs> naming somebody Jimmy Chris, who's a reverend, is not the most insane thing we've seen with names. Speaking of Jesse James, he has become slightly irritated, I think for the first time in this series so far, because Stegman's car alarm is going off and it is it has gotten his attention. And he this is so not morning air. He just needs that sound to stop. So he sends down not Johnny B. Good. Who is that? That is Wayne Newton. Wayne Newton. Thank you so much. I was watching it and I'm staring at it and he's not in the credits. But that must have cost Jesse James a lot to have Wayne Newton go do it. <laughs> but, but you notice that Johnny B. Good went to the casino. Yeah. And his makes... sub is Wayne Newton. <laughs> that is amazing. Is Johnny B. Good like performing for people right now? He must be. Okay. So we cut to Sally and Natalie, who ignore Richard, the seismologist, who's just trying to warn them that the big one is coming. And Peter has drawn some more stuff, and they're trying to get him to communicate with them, which leads to a perfectly fine, but for some reason, super endearing and hilarious to me scene, because Mary totally weakened at Bernie's Peter. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. It was good. It's that's so funny. It makes me wonder how many times so far in the series Peter has, you know, moved and it's been Mary actually moving him or if any of it has been Peter at all. Peter has drawn two massive, scary looking needles and Sally and Natalie are asking him if he can hear them. And it cuts to the shot where Mary, uh, adorable little Mary, is just standing next to Peter And she grabs him by the top and bottom of his head and either nods or shakes his head no as they ask him questions. And the man, the girl who plays Mary is so fantastic. One of the questions they ask, they see these horrible long needles and Sally says, is this where Mary lived? She shakes Peter's head no. And then Natalie asks, is this where she died? And it cuts to this shot of Mary and she like has this quick surprised breath that that's exactly what she wanted them to ask. Mm-hmm. And it's the most adorable thing. And she <laughs> shakes her head. Yes. That that is those needles represent where she was killed. But she was adorable anyway. I think that's a really interesting point though, about maybe, you know, what Natalie and Sally are seeing Peter doing. Is it different from what the audience sees or what they show us? Well, there is, there is one. And I don't remember if it was in this scene or this episode or one of the earlier ones, where when he's doing the drawings, you can see her hand on his. Yeah, uh, when that's when he's drawing uh, Candleton in the last episode. Oh, okay. Talented girl, that Mary. <laughs> She's a multifaceted artist. We're back with Reverend Jesus and his congregation have gathered around him to mourn him. And the EMTs arrive. Sassy nurse is there. Her name's Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Liz Hinton. And they note that he's dead but still bleeding, which isn't possible. And then the water in the mission turns to wine, which is okay, except aren't most of the people using this facility addicts of some sort? Like, are we also going to turn the plaster into crack? Oh, God! (laughs) 
Now that's a miracle. I, the first thing I thought of was because it's Firecracker Man who says he needs to grab a drink of water. Liz asks if she can get one too. And as he starts drinking out of the faucet, it turns to wine. And my first thought was, oh, he just got sober. Like now he's just going to yeah. stick his whole head under that faucet. But to his credit, he doesn't. And this episode is interesting because now we're getting like title cards. Yeah. The first one that said Friday, the first day, uh, the miracle of water into wine. And now we're on Saturday, the second day, the miracle of loaves and tuna fish. Which as soon as I saw that, I was like, this is <laughs> going to be ridiculous. Whatever is about to happen. I cannot wait. This is a fun bit. The streets are absolutely packed and the news is there. And this we have this reporter who makes the glorious mistake of trying to interview. Well, I guess not trying. She straight up <laughs> interviews Stegman. Oh. Let's talk about the unique way in which he answers her questions. Can I, can I mention that I thought I caught accidental sexism in this scene? Yeah. So uh, the anchor, Celeste, uh, Celeste, Celeste Daldry is her name. And she's there with her cameraman who, uh, as the, the more we see them, there's more banter between them and their rapport is great. She's like kind of primping a little bit and she's like, uh, how does it look? And he says, looks great, doll. And I was like, oh, shit. And then she says, I'm Celeste Daldry. And I was like, uh, <laughs> that's not sexism. That's a nickname. You sound disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it was so quick. I thought I caught something that I was like, oh, this is maybe this is something. Because this episode is this episode more than I think any of them is one where you have to watch out for really subtle nods mm -hmm. uh, because for lack of a better term, when you incorporate a Jesus story, there's a lot of Easter eggs that you can hide into the content, which is why we celebrate Easter and Jesus. Uh. It, <laughs> Easter isn't about finding eggs. It's about finding references to Jesus. I have to trust you, Josh, because apparently you grew up in a Catholic household. So <laughs> if you say that's what Easter is all about. <laughs> keeping track all the all the little miracles and and what they equated to like the tuna fish sandwiches it's a reference to the loaves and the fishes oh god i can't wait to get to that uh so but uh the the actual interview with stegman might be my favorite stegman moment that we have had yeah first of all way to go celeste for mishearing his name and calling him dr stoogley <laughs> i will love her forever for that but stegman gets racist instantly he does not even try. It's awful and appalling. And then he makes a joke about baseball, which we know now is very important to everyone in this town. So he belittles their favorite sport. And then he ends things by saying that all these people should be sterilized and sold into slavery. And when she's like, uh, uh, like can't respond because holy crap, why would he say something like that on the news? He gives her shit for not being eloquent and having oh. a comeback to the worst thing you could ever say. That, dude, it's it's so good. The, the It's really in the delivery of that moment because he says, she says, you know, the thing about what do you think of all these people who believe and they should be sterilized and sent to the gulag. Eloquent as always, film at 11. And he looks at the camera when he says it and then leaves. <laughs> like he does the outro to the news. <laughs> and it's amazing. He is fearless in his awfulness. Absolutely. So Hook and Draper and Elmer, but not really Elmer because he's a douche, are comforting Liz, our sassy nurse. And we find out here that she was 
very close to the Reverend. Um, we saw her in other episodes at the mission. I thought she was just there, like they called the hospital and they sent her. But no, we find out that for the last five years, she has been helping out at the mission, playing piano, singing, and has become very close to Reverend Jesus. And Elmer's being kind of shitty and Hook unleashes some more head puns. Did you write them down? I did not this time. <laughs> <laughs> this time. I was curious to see if if I didn't, if someone else would fill that space. <laughs> no. Damn nope. it. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I, now, at this point, we've been doing this show long enough that if there's a pun, I just leave it to you. Ah, oh, thank you. So let's go back to Richard, our seismologist, for a minute. He is roaming the hospital. He's trying his best to warn everyone that the hospital needs to be evacuated because an earthquake is imminent. And this is so frustrating because this is precisely what they hired him for. Not even to say, okay, oh, there's an earthquake and this is why, but to look into maybe even supernatural reasons about why there are earthquakes, which is precisely what he's doing for them. It's just frustrating to see everyone sort of kind of talking down to him and treating him as if he's still drunk. And I'm pretty sure he went through detox. So he's sober right now. Yeah, but he is delivering all of this information with the intensity and volume of a crazy person. True. If he, I feel like they might have taken him more seriously if he could have managed to take a breath and been a little more calm about it. In his defense, his feet are crawling with fire ants. That is also true. It would be that hard would to be calm. <laughs> this ends in a cool way because Paul appears to Richard and slams some poetry on him and then <laughs> screams nurse. And like all of a sudden you cut and this nurse appears. It was, I don't know, something about it was really cool. It was like he summoned this nurse to get rid of Richard. <laughs> she just appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> He tells Richard, too late, man. Don't worry about it. Too late. He like he specifically says that the next big earthquake will happen in the morgue. He can determine exactly where it is going to happen. And yeah, it's it, it's like him being completely dismissed. And that's bananas to me. <laughs> and while they're doing the autopsy. Yeah, this the autopsy scene of Reverend Jesus was really neat. Uh, Havens and Lona are the two people doing the autopsy. And the second they turn off the microphone that's recording all this, then they say they bring up that he is still bleeding even after 24 hours. And how and I don't understand why would you not? They say this isn't going to go in any reports. But why not? This is the shit that would get you so published. It's insane. right? And all they have to do is videotape it for more evidence. People are going to be all over this. I couldn't understand that either, why they waited to talk about, okay, if you are, if you have to do a lot of autopsies, wouldn't this be like your dream autopsy? Wouldn't you be like, holy shit, I had the best autopsy today. A guy <laughs> kept bleeding even though he was dead. <laughs> Ooh, that just gave me a really dark thought. If you do autopsies, your best autopsy is on someone's worst day. Well, that's sad. It really is. That's I said it was dark. <laughs> All right, well, let's lighten things up a little bit. Let's go back to the mission. Elisa, this is a scene you're mentioning. Despite ordering enough food for everyone, Jimmy John's only brought like three tuna sandwiches. <laughs> but that's not going to be a problem. Lisa, do you want to talk about what happens here? That's right. He, um, they ordered like nine dozen tuna fish sandwiches and the guy brings a dozen. And then 
when Bobby goes to pay him with the money, he actually asks if that includes the tip. And I'm like, seriously, dude, <laughs> you brought eight dozen fewer sandwiches <laughs> that I ordered and you want a tip. Uh, but he goes and tells his mom and drags her back. And by the time they get back to the table and he's saying, we have such a problem and they only brought a dozen sandwiches and they're, the whole table is full of bags full of tuna fish sandwiches. Okay, not to be sacrilegious, but I could think of so many better sandwiches to have duplicate. Ice cream sandwich? Ice cream. Oh my God. <laughs> you want to show me a miracle, you duplicate me some ice cream sandwiches and I am in. Well, but it, but it had to, you know, it had to coincide with the loaves and the fishes. Yes. <laughs> do, wait, do those just duplicate? Does Jesus just put them in a hat and pull out too? Is that how that works? Uh, I don't well, remember they, that story. They actually got him from from a kid. There was like 5,000 people there to hear him. And this little kid had lunch with some a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish that his mom gave him. And they take, take the kid's lunch. He puts it in a basket and he holds it up and he prays. And he, when he pulls it back down, it's full of fish. And he does the same with, with the bread. And then they pass it out to all these 5,000 people and still have some left over, which does come up later. I just realized something. Mary Poppins is a damn dirty thief. (laughs) (laughs) We're on to you, Poppins. (laughs) She stole Jesus's magic basket and now she's frightening children. (laughs) Oh, man. That's a scary movie. (laughs) And then she disguised it as a carpet bag. Oh, and he was a carpenter. That's not the same thing. That's not not the same thing. That was a stretch. (laughs) I I, am not into the religion. I'm trying really hard. (laughs) Okay. We're going to have an earthquake. That's my segue. Good. (laughs) Richard was totally right. Obviously, we all knew that. And he had been trying to warn him that it was going to be focused in the morgue. And that's where it hits, just as he said it would. And we get this scene where some of our characters are trying to survive this scary earthquake. And then we cut to Jesse James, who's like, well, that wasn't so bad. So back to morning air business. (laughs) And Josh, I feel like this is where we are getting your auto episode, kind of. That was the first thing I thought of. And I was like, "Uh oh, this is going to turn auto centric. And oh, boy. And it kind of does. And spoiler alert, not as bad as I thought. Yeah, it was pretty tame compared to where I thought they were going to go with it because he is featured on some of the the cover work and so we were kind of expecting like this big auto focused thing and he's tolerable in this episode I think (laughs) and I kind of actually end up feeling bad for him he's trapped downstairs with Massingale and Havens and his glasses are broken he's like you know just the hugest glasses in the world he needs to rub them on Reverend Jesus but (laughs) He doesn't do that because something cooler is going to happen to him. I like that they're playing rock, paper, scissors, and he has scissors and says, scissors cuts paper, and they're both sitting there with rocks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In case we needed any more evidence that they, uh, that uh, Otto can't see worth a damn. But I thought that was a really funny choice of how you spend your time in a cave-in. I'm just like, oh, "Oh, let's hang out and play three-way rock, paper, scissors. Ooh, let's uh, cut to something sexy. Brenda and Stegman. Gross. He is really on her ass about getting a copy of that report from Mona's file. We get this running joke of how Mrs. Powell is integrity incarnate, but every night, precisely at 8 p.m., she goes out to dinner. 
every Monday night, not even every night, this woman so consistently apparently only leaves her office for one meal once a week. And everybody knows, oh, at 8 p.m. she has dinner at this place, so she won't be in there. That is wild that that's we, we talked about this uh, way back in Joyland when Ben mentioned uh, with Lane Hardy, the whole how tipping the cap is how he like tips the bowler from side to side becomes yeah. so inherently a thing he's known for because he does it all the time. That reminded <laughs> me of, of this moment <laughs> when somebody's full personality trait is they have dinner once a week on a Monday. <laughs> and at the same restaurant. Yeah. She's integrity incarnate, but she's boring as fuck. She's she, she, terribly OTC. <laughs> I might have had to stop going to my favorite restaurant so often because when I would walk in the door, they would start cooking without asking me what I wanted. <laughs> you go a place for lunch and dinner in one day and they think they know you. <laughs> as long as they don't yell Norm when you run, walk through the door. Okay. We cut to Hook's pad and he's with Draper and Elmer and Elmer is Elmering all over everything. And he taunts him, well not taunts him, but he's reminding him of what he needs to do by showing him the head in his refrigerator. And I guess you have to keep it as cool as you can, but I would never put a head where I put my food or drink. Yeah. There's food like sitting all around it in the refrigerator. It's, it's in a sealed bag, guys. That's like eating in the bathroom. There are just things you don't do in the kitchen and things you don't do in the bathroom. They're separate. So your rules I always are... poop in my kitchen sink. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> After showing him the head, Hook gives Elmer the card to medical records and gives him the exact same info, almost word for word, that Stegman gave Brenda. And my first thought was, oh, this is going to be a thing. And then it cuts to Sally and Bobby. And Bobby... Trying to be the kind of guy who smokes a pipe. This is infuriating. Does anybody believe Bobby is the kind of guy that would smoke a pipe? If you live in your mother's basement, and no offense to you if you do, totally cool. You are not smoking a pipe. I promise. You do not know how. You don't know how to pack it or light it. And you will never look cool with it. Yeah. And that's coming from CM Alexander, pipe model. Which is something we have not talked about on the show ever, I I think. I'm so glad you said that because what was about to come out of my mouth was, oh my God, (laughs) pipe smoker. And I realized that sounds kind of (laughs) not how I wanted it to sound. (laughs) Yeah. Smoke a lot of pipe. (laughs) Half pipe will smoke. Do you guys want to say anything else about Bobby pretending? I I was just going to say that, again, Sally gives... So even Sally knows this about medical records and when to get in. And she hands it to Bobby. And for some reason, I don't know why Bobby ever even bothers with fighting whatever his mom wants. Because he just, it resorts to him whiningly going, mom. And then she's like, oh, just do it. And he's like, fine, I guess I'll go do it. (laughs) Bobby is me as a moody teenager. Mom, did I nail that? Is that how (laughs) I sounded? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's, that's exactly how you sounded. Wow, are, are you really going to relate to Bobby that way? Uh, but Bobby is a grown man, and I was 14. Okay, there we go. <laughs> we cut from this to Ant Bear sampling Reverend Jesus. Is this a <laughs> reference 
Lisa, that I'm missing? I was trying to figure that out too. It's like, why, why did he knock his hand off there? And well, you know, he was licking the wound and, you know, maybe, you know, but the, the resurrection had already started. So it's not like he was starting the resurrection, but I don't know. I, maybe that restarted his heart or something. I don't know. Maybe Ant Bear is like a shark, and when he sees something, he has to sample it. <laughs> Could be. Just a little taste before you disappear. <laughs> yeah. So now we come to Sunday, the third day, the blind shall see. And we cut to the reporter again, and she's like, a thousand people have gathered. And her camera guy's like, <clears throat> 2,000. And she's like, 3,000 people have <laughs> gathered here on the second day. And he's like, <clears throat> third day. And she's like, don't confuse me with facts. Facts like what direction the sun sets in. She is so lucky <laughs> to have this guy. But in all seriousness, what did you guys think of of this scene where the camera's panning back and we see the streets filled with, I was honestly like, there must be... 10,000 people because it's completely packed shoulder to shoulder as far as you can see down the city block. Okay. There were two things that I wanted and neither of them happened. One was I was kind of hoping with all those people in there, there was going to be another earthquake and you were going to, and it was going to be crazy with all those people. Uh, And I thought that was going to be like the dramatic turn. The other thing I kind of wanted, which it probably is only me who would think to to do this is the same thing. Have an earthquake happen while all those people on the property, but see the clear line of people who are unaffected by the earthquake because they're just off the property. I thought that would have been super cool. Yeah, that would have been awesome. I thought you were going to say because they're ghosts, <laughs> <laughs> which also would have been cool. <laughs> well, there were a lot of people in the parking lot when that last earthquake happened. That's true. So it's kind of a, you know, I I did miss that some kind of a reaction there that, you know, like people on the street are just standing there and hear the people in the parking lot are shaking all over everywhere. Yeah. So we get some more scenes with Hook, Liz and Draper and the emergency crew. They're trying to get our three trapped from the lower floor where they've been for, I guess, almost a day if we're on the third day now. And Richard is continuing to try to warn people. You know, he's telling Natalie Rickman that she needs to get Peter out of the hospital because of all the ghosts. He warns her that there's an even bigger earthquake coming that is probably going to destroy the hospital. And still, no one believes him. They all ignore him. I I still argue that he's doing exactly what they hired him to do, which was already a wacky thing to hire <laughs> someone to do. When he, he just called, there's going to be an earthquake in the morgue, and it happened, that should, first of all, give him credit again. And Mm -hmm. then he says the next quake will be the last. It'll kill everyone. And Natalie's like, well, nice talking to you. I gotta go. (laughs) But then Mary, we cut to Peter and Mary, and Mary asks if that's true. And Mary says, yes, the next time she rings her bell, it'll be for hundreds. Mm -hmm. Which is a really cool line. Yeah, it is. She also tells Peter that these special dreamers can stop what's going to happen. Let's cut back to our rock, paper, scissors game and uh, the miracle that happens to Otto. They're playing rock, paper, scissors, and all of a sudden he can see and he can see perfectly when he hasn't been able to see his he's been losing his eyesight for like 25 years. And now all of a sudden he can see perfectly and he tells everybody that they're beautiful. He even tells Blondie that she's beautiful. And Dr. Hafen says, hang on there, cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought this actor did a great job in this scene. He seemed genuinely so happy and grateful. It was enough that I I was really touched by the moment because of just how well he played it and how he mm-hmm. looked so his heart looked so full in those moments and that was such a just a beautiful scene for him. Yeah, he wasn't all showboaty about it, which I totally would have been. I'd be like, hey guys, look at that. Can't see it? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well he does yeah. do that later. Well, you know, you think about it, if you haven't you haven't really been able to see anybody's face for like twenty five years, clearly, and then all of a sudden you're seeing this person in front of you and you you can you can see that reaction in him and he's like you're so beautiful so yeah it was kind of cool i think i look better a little blurry so that would be disappointing (laughs) for me despite being a doctor and probably not the foremost expert in the room on how to safely get through this this rubble that's probably very dangerous maybe you move the wrong thing and the ceiling above you collapses hook just like comes in and he shoves this big rock out of the way to make a space for them to be rescued I'm like watching Hook grab these things with his bare hands. And I'm like, you are a surgeon. (laughs) Exactly. I'm surprised anybody (laughs) let him anywhere near there. Those hands are insured. We cut back outside to the gatherers and the reporter. And she is interviewing people who have been experiencing miracles and have been healed over the last few days because of Reverend Jesus. And they all start singing. And this will surprise no one. I hate it. No, uh, CM does not like spontaneous singing, or as I referred to this episode, cop rock goes gospel. Oh, yes. <laughs> I do love that. Oh. So the woman they're interviewing, she's holding these braces that she's needed these braces on her legs to walk. But around the same time that Otto got his eyesight back, she stood up and didn't need them. And I love that she goes, I, I, I can do more than just walk. And then she pulls a Nell and just yes. <laughs> Spins around. <laughs> I like that reference. Yeah. Thank you. I could, I'm watching it and I'm like, this is reminding me of something very specific. And yeah, it was Nell outside, arms outstretched, just spinning in a circle. Not only can I stand, <laughs> I can be in the same place and go in circles. Now he has made, made a blind man see and he has made the lame walk. Oh, I, God, I didn't even catch the second one. What about the spinning? Who did he make spin um, originally? Uh, a demon, maybe. I don't know. Does <laughs> he cast it out of somebody? He made it spin. I don't know. He did cast some into pigs and make them run into the river. But oh, I got it. He made everybody's head spin with his cool music. Oh. There you go. There it is. Uh, and then I noticed that the girl who got her legs back says to the anchor before she starts singing again, she says, the rock will be rolled aside and he will live again. And then... Uh, the anchor sends it out. And I was like, I know that one. I know that part. I know about the rock. (laughs) But then this next scene made me really sad. Do you guys think that that's why, I'm sorry, do you think that's why they were playing rock, paper, scissors? Because you have the rock that's going to be rolled away, the paper, which could be the shroud and the scissors, which could be part of like when they were, you know, dressing him and cutting the shroud. I don't know. Am I reaching too far? No, I think, I think that is an appropriate reach. I really like that. I do too. This is, well, the scissors could be because of the autopsy. See, it all comes together. There you go. Did this scene with Firecracker Man and Stegman make you guys sad like it made me? I was extremely disappointed in Firecracker Man. After he has been healed, he is made sober. He has seen miracles. He lost, you know, his mentor. He, you know, Reverend Jesus is cool, but I need money. Well, not just that. I think he's drunk. Because 
Jesus, Reverend Jesus turned the water to wine. He was a bad reverend. <laughs> He's trying to get his daily intake of water, but that keeps getting turned to wine. Yeah, I, I am I am I alone in that? Did you guys think he also seemed like he was back to being drunk? No, actually, I didn't think he was drunk at all. I didn't think so either. Maybe it's just me. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think it's more impactful for the audience if he's not drunk in a way, because it's kind of showing you what his priorities are. Like, uh, on the one hand, if he gets drunk again, it's very tragic and sad because he's lost his his gift of sobriety through this miracle. But on the other hand, yeah, despite everything, I am not changed. And, you know, I may be sober, but I'm going to be a piece of shit and rat out Adrian <laughs> Krista. For 50 bucks. I mean, that is what Stegman promised them, as if they had information, he'd give them 50 bucks. But yeah, to see him, the look on Stegman's face when he says the thing about, I've been grabbing everybody in a white coat and it's none of them. And Firecracker Man says, no, they're wearing pink ones now. The Just you see this look come over Stegman's face like, son of a bitch, I've been had. <laughs> Can we talk about another disappointing choice? Yes. We're with Draper. She's looking for Liz and she's with another nurse. She finds Liz asleep in this room. And I guess and they're still downstairs where all the rubble and probably the dust that you don't want in your lungs is. And I guess she looked so damn peaceful that Liz is like, oh, let's just let her sleep. She's exhausted. No, rescue her from the destroyed basement of the hospital and get her to safety. <laughs> They leave her. They literally close the door and leave her. How would she feel waking up whenever she wakes up? Or are they going to come back down and get her after they decide she's napped long enough? Well, but you think about it. And if they wouldn't have left her there, then when Reverend Jimmy came to her, she wouldn't have been alone. And that makes sense. But I don't appreciate how they got us there. It was it was cheap. I also... <laughs> They make a point to say that this area is no longer dangerous. It's just clearing debris. They're not worried about another cave-in or anything because of all this clearing. So all in all, it's not like she's, it's not like that room she's napping in is in the middle of the disaster zone. Did Richard tell them that though? Because he's the expert and unless he says you're safe to nap <laughs> down here in this rubble, I'm not buying it. Uh, no, they didn't pay him for the nap study. That's what they need Lona uh, for, but she's sorry. on the other side of the cave-in. Oh. Okay, let's talk about the big scene, the big reveal, or vanish, which is, I guess, the opposite of reveal. <laughs> There's my segue. They just clear the way, and Dr. Hook makes his way through the rubble uh, to reach them, and the morgue fills with this insanely bright white light and this almost perfectly spherical piece of debris that had fallen in front of the morgue door rolls by itself completely out of the way and they rush in and the body's gone but the cloth is still glowing and then that's when Otto is like my eyes are so good I can still see him I have a stupid question to ask oh I bet it's the same as my stupid question go ahead was the image on the shroud an owl <laughs> That's no. 100% the question I was going to ask because I swear serious? to God, it looked like an owl. I could it not tell like what owl. was, what was that sheet? They also I think your mom is ashamed of us right now. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You're fine. Um, have you ever heard of the Shroud of Turin? Yes. Okay. That's what that was supposed to be. Although it was kind of weird because, you know, it had both sides like the Shroud does, but they would have never put the sheet underneath him or doubled it up on top of him so how did the image get 
Well, uh, go back. What is what is the shroud? So, so the shroud was what uh, the cloth that they wrapped Jesus in before putting him in the tomb. When the resurrection occurred, there was so much energy that it almost took a put a negative image of Jesus onto the sheet, so that when you looked at it, it actually you could actually see the image of his face. And his body and where the blood was from his wrists and his, you know, his side where he had been stabbed and his feet and everything. So when they pulled out the sheet of him, you could actually see the image of him on two parts of the sheet. So CM and I, CM and I were looking at a picture in the blood when we should have been looking at the negative space where blood was not, essentially. Yes. Okay. So an owl was not brutally murdered and treated at the hospital. <laughs> no, that was just the ink blot test. I always see owls. <laughs> I wonder what that means about you. It means I'm a hoot. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. <laughs> I liked it. Jeez Louise. That was wonderful. Well, the, the part where, where Jimmy appears to Nurse Liz when everybody else is, you know, oohing and on over the shroud. And he says, you know, it's not too late. Listen to me. I want to know what he told her. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we'll ever find out? I don't. I don't know. I'm, I was kind of hoping, you know, maybe is he telling her that it's not too late to save the hospital? Is it, you know, if he was going to give her some information about that? But they did. That's all he says. I wonder, uh, I thought that what he told her was it's not too late to get out there with the crowd for the the big reveal. Which seems like something anticlimactic. Like if Jesus showed up to me and he said, go outside, you're missing a thing. I'd feel really (laughs) jacked. Well, that Jesus is a bro. He doesn't want you to miss things. (laughs) Uh, But she does. Liz catches them out in public as they, they take the shroud out with them. And the reporter's trying to get a comment from them. And I love that Dr. Hook, he says, uh, we have our bad days and we have good days and this is a good day. And him and Havens jump up on a squad car and hold it out to everybody. And then Otto starts singing and the crowd shares a, a gospel hymn and, and it all ends there. What if they had jumped up on Stegman's <laughs> Infinitely better. And then just stared Stegman in the face when they did it. <laughs> I want to talk for just a moment about the tone of this episode and its effect on the series so far. We have had a lot of really goofy episodes, like in a good way, and a few that were, I think, really good horror. And now we get this very biblical one that, in contrast to the others, while still having creepy moments, is very uplifting and very hopeful. But what I want to ask both of you is... What did this episode do for you? How did it progress the story or answer questions or give you insights into the characters? So essentially, what did each of you get from this episode if you got anything? That is an excellent question. Okay, so here I've been actually thinking about this for a while. I don't know if maybe it's because I'm also watching this during the current events happening in our world, but... The message this entire episode set up for me was the idea that people are waiting for a miracle. That this episode was about 
believing in something bigger than yourself. And that is definitely something that our heroes are going to have to do before this is all over. Yeah, I mean, it didn't It didn't really, to me, progress the story as much. I mean, it really, it really only had a couple little pieces that related to the main story. But I like the, the kind of that turn to where it gives you this more hopeful, brighter side of things that, you know, miracles can happen. There was something, one more thought, and it may be, it's kind of building off of the first thing I said. But there, it also, the other idea that it had given me was a message that people make the, the grand idea about the second coming. The second coming being this uh, event that would change the entire world as we know it. And I think it might have also been trying to relay the message of maybe uh, what we refer to as the second coming, because that's kind of what this, this story is, isn't the one big event that changes the whole world, but maybe that second coming is in the little, the little miracles that we create uh, in our lives, in our communities, to the people around us, that kind of thing. We forgot to mention, too, when uh, we were opening on this episode, we were seeing the credits, Tabitha King was involved in this one. Yeah, she wrote the story and uh, Stephen King uh, did the teleplay for it. So that's yeah. interesting. It makes me really curious how this story came to be because for me, I I felt a little removed from it and I think it's because we haven't gotten a lot of Reverend Jesus. See, I, I don't know. I feel uh, the opposite. I feel like that's something I really liked about, that I've really liked about the show is that we've seen... Like, Reverend Jimmy is not a stranger to us. He's been in, well, this is episode 10. He's at least been in three or four. I guess I wanted to connect with him a little more to uh, be a little more impacted when he died and then was resurrected and kind of went on this journey that for him, I hope this isn't shitty to say, probably was really awesome. Like, if you're a reverend, and not the crucifixion (laughs) part, but if you get to be like part of this thing that you believe in so strongly, wouldn't you be like, oh man, today's my day. Right, but if you, let me ask a question on that. If we'd known Jimmy more as a character, would it have been harder? Would we be thinking, that's a weird thing for Jimmy to have done if he has this power? Like, I, we've seen this, this stuff from Jimmy. Would giving him too much personality make it hard for us to not look at him as a blank slate? Jesus allegory. Possibly. Let's redo it and find out. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be covering episode 11 of Kingdom Hospital, Seizure Day. For CM Alexander and Lisa Khan, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you, like everyone else here, I'm waiting for a miracle. everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Kingdom Hospital Part 10. We hope you enjoyed it. Instead of asking you to check out our Patreon, our website, to rate and review us, or to follow us on social media, I'm just going to ask one thing. Go to blacklivesmatter.com and join the movement to fight for freedom, liberation, and justice. You can sign up for their mailing list and they will give you updates on different actions you can take to support the movement, various programs you can support, partnerships, and all kinds of ways to get involved. So we would ask that you please take whatever you are considering giving us and donate it to the Black Lives Matter movement instead. Again, that website is blacklivesmatter.com.
That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.